Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Ready? Tonight we're debating whether or not science give, gives evidence for God, and we are starting right now with the Theist team's opening statement. Thanks so much for being with us. Maddox and Taylor, the floor is all yours. Well, thanks so much, James. Pre- James, appreciate you uh, setting this up tonight. And tonight we're going to be discussing the topic of is there scientific evidence to support the existence of God? And by that, I mean an agent, the necessity of which is supported by the evidence. We are not here to argue for a specific religion. Obviously, if it is not rational to conclude the former, then by default, the latter is not reasonable on its face, and the entire discussion would be an utter waste of time. Now, here in a few moments, my partner is going to be presenting a variety of pieces of evidence, and the fact she's currently working on her PhD in one of my favorite topics, cellular biology, is one of the primary reasons I decided to accept this debate. And you know, in our pre- preparation for tonight's discussion, she was rather surprised by some of the things I mentioned being so often dismissed, rejected, or claimed to be false by previous opponents. So as you listen to her arguments and the, and later on the supposed rebuttals potentially from our opponents, remember, these are things she works on and with on a daily basis. But most importantly, if you truly have an open mind and are not watching solely to hear your side's talking points and not actually engage in rational analysis of them, then consider the following. If in all other known and observed cases of the types of evidence presented, the necessity of a preceding intelligent agent for their existence is the rational, indeed the logical, plausible, and probable conclusion, especially when viewed as a conglomerate of evidence, then why would the same not apply in relation to the requirements for our existence? Either we have the intellectual capacity to reach sound conclusions, or we do not. Either we have the ability to determine what is sound, or we do not. However, if you want to always cling to the position that there is always some other possible explanation, therefore we can reject the conclusion staring us in the face. Well, you always have the privilege to do so, but it doesn't make you right, and more importantly, it doesn't make your opponents and people who disagree with you wrong. Now, I'm going to turn everything over to my partner, and I hope everyone listening will pay very close attention to what she has to say, the arguments that are put forth, and ultimately the uh, rational conclusions that can be derived from them. Taylor, the floor is yours. Okay, so today we're going to be debating, uh, does science give evidence for God? Um, and I'm going to be arguing, yes, it does. So science in general is a pursuit of which, um, and that is supposed to be unbiased, and there's supposed to be evidences and mathematic equations um, supporting whatever um, your explanation is for certain things in nature. So we have always wondered, where did we come from and how did we get here? And so there's many different areas of, bi- of areas of science to answer these questions. Um, my specialty is cell biology, but there's also physics, chemistry, theology and philosophy. So interestingly, philosophy and theology are not discounted from being scientific arguments. So the biggest questions have yet to be answered by science. Um, The general public tends to believe that scientists have it all figured out, which is a large misconception. Um, Many of the biggest questions of the universe and how we got here, including how life arose, have yet to be answered. And in many cases, there is not even a working theory. Um, And there are scientific explanations for these things that 
defy other science, making it non-scientific. And the um, some of these things arising naturally, like life or the universe, the chances are just so astronomically low that you can almost discount them as even uh, being a working theory. So for example, um, as we learn more about science, the questions and the answers are actually becoming harder. So how did we get here? For example, abiogenesis, that was a theory of how life arose. Um, at this point, we thought that cells were just balls of jelly. But now that we know that cells have very complex machinery, the question to how life arose naturally without any divine intervention are becoming harder and harder to answer. Um, and then, so the universe, how did it get created? Um, as we learn more about the universe, such as dark matter and dark energy, um, we learn, we, we look at the universe and see that it's actually speeding up, suggesting that this dark energy must be present and that most of our universe actually consists of this dark matter and dark energy that we can't even observe. Um, the mathematics are basically there to fill in the equation. So the more, the more that we observe, the further away from the answers that we're getting by only using scientific explanations. So abiogenesis is the theory of how life arose. Um, abiogenesis is basically a theory where the chemical components of life came together to form a living cell. And as I mentioned, this theory was created whenever we thought that cells were very simplistic balls of jelly, but now we know that they have extremely advanced machinery, some of the machinery being more advanced than say rocket ships. And some of the machinery is so effective that us humans are trying to mimic it for our everyday technology. And it's just um, better machinery that we can even create using technology. So the general theory of abiogenesis, though there is not a unified theory because all of them have significant problems. No matter what theory that I mentioned, um, whether it be pan, panspermia from another uh, planet or life arising here from chemical components, um, they all have significant gaps in them, but um, on the screen right here is how lightning um, was used to create these basic earth components. Um, and then that basically made some type of primordial soup, which the chemical components came together to form life. So these basic components that we're saying were formed on the early earth, were about, say, five atoms big, maybe an amino acid. Um, but now we know that the cell has uh, billions and billions of atoms working together as machinery and not just small little four atom complex molecules. So the, the questions are becoming bigger and bigger as to how these things naturally arose. Um, so to start off with abiogenesis, the materials for, for life do not naturally form. Um, for example, if we have proteins, that's put together using amino acids. Um, uh, proteins are also used to make DNA. And so then a, a chicken and the egg question arises whether proteins came first or DNA, because DNA gives the instruction for proteins and proteins build up DNA, none of which can naturally form because both need um, enzymes to put, put them together. So we don't, we cannot find the natural building blocks here on earth, and we cannot come up with a theory as to how a cell 
could have even arisen. Um, the primordial soup would have been toxic. So as you see on the screen, the, the carbonyl groups would have been um, destructive to amino acid um, NH2s, which are both necessary for life to form. So they would have kind of broken each other up. And then on another note, that for the first cell to come about, you would have needed oxygen. Yet if oxygen was present, things would have been oxidized and you would have needed water, but if water was there, things tend to disperse. So therefore we cannot come up with even an idea of how life arose here on earth by completely natural means. So because of this, we came up with these different theories, um, basically pushing back the question, which is I've seen many scientists do, pushing the question back to, um, oh, well, it must've came from another planet. Well, that doesn't answer the question of how complex cells arose from uh, merely chemicals. Um, just to give you an idea of how hard a cell is to, to construct, we can't even construct a cell from the basic components in a lab. So if, you, and that's different from merely inserting DNA into a living cell. Now I'm talking about constructing an entire functioning cell from the simple components. We have not been able to do that just to show you how complex it is. And I hear people often say, oh, well, if you just give it enough time, then the cell will, um, then the cell will naturally arise. Um, that, I would say that that theory is equal to saying that if you throw a turkey leg into a pot of water, given enough time, a living turkey is gonna come out and that's giving it the benefit of the doubt. So another thing is that Darwin mentioned about um, irreducible complexity. Darwin, who created this theory, when we thought cells were balls of jelly, said that if we find irreducible complexity in cells, then we will have significant problems with the theory of evolution. Um, I'm not really gonna be arguing evolution today, but I am gonna be arguing abiogenesis. So we have found irreducible complexity in many, in many instances, meaning that if any of the necessary components needed for something to function, are missing, then it won't function properly. Um, and so then with that notion, how did things evolve? If, if without an, a certain amount of working components, it didn't function, then why would evolution uh, evolve in that way? Why would that keep evolving to create something that at, at um, a huge portion in time had no function? Um, so right here is a flagellum tail, here is sperm. And here is the um, modem to a flagellum. As you can see, all of the different components, it's very complex. Like many biological systems are extremely complex. And whenever they talk about the idea of a protocell, you, you can't simplify a cell. Um, there's No matter how simple the cell is, there's still going to be a level of complexity that's impossible to achieve naturally. So you'd still need to re, uh, reproduce, have some form of um, energy production, and that in itself is a huge, complex task. So right here is a, um, a flagellum tail, and here's all the different components of it. And maybe with a few of these missing, but without the significant portion of these different mechanisms of this um, sperm tail, then it, it would not work. The flagellum would not spin. So yeah, that's just an example. And there's many others of irreducible complexity none of which have been seriously debunked, such as this one. Um, so then another question is the start of the universe and the Big Bang. We've seen through cosmic background radiation that the universe does have a beginning, but we don't know how this happened. Um, the universe could not have just come from nothing. There must have been some type of 
either previous universe or energy already present. So that they have been trying to get around this theory because what created the universe? Um, so they're, they're coming up with these radical hypotheses such as a big bang loop or a multiverse or a simulation to try to get around this. Um, and there's also big stipulations with the big bang such as that matter and antimatter should have theoretically collapsed when they created each other. And we still don't fully understand the model of how the Big Bang happened. So um, simulation theory, um, sim we cannot be in a simulation because you cannot upload consciousness. We fully don't understand consciousness. So we would not, that, that can disprove the simulation theory. And the Big Bang loop, um, modern science tend to, tends to suggest that we are going to um, experience a big rip and therefore the big crunch will not happen. And current data shows that we're going to experience the big rip. Um, Fine-tuned of the universe here is the astronomically um, low chance that alone this universe could have um, created this low entropy state would have been would have been needed. And um, so right now there is a there is not a scientific explanation for everything. Um, there is no working scientific explanation. And since my opponents will argue that God does not exist. I would like a working theory to how we got here. Thank you. Team, we're going to kick it over to our atheist team. Thanks so much for being with us, Amy and Leo. Before we do, I want to say, folks, no matter what walk of life you are from, hope you feel welcome. We're thrilled to have you here, whether you be atheist, theist, Republican, Democrat, you name it. We're thrilled to have you here. Modern Day Debate is a neutral platform hosting debates on science, religion, and politics. And with that, we're going to kick it over to Amy and Leo. Thanks so much. The floor is all yours for your opening. Woohoo! Thank you so very much, James and my interlocutors for joining us for the panel and everyone out there on the interwebs. And my name is Amy Newman. I am a counter-apologist, comedian, and academic. Recently, having graduated with my Master's of Science in Information Systems, tonight I have come to speak with you about does science give evidence for God? No. By science, I mean coming up with a hypothesis, figuring out a way to test said hypothesis, doing so, recording the results, and submitting them for peer review. This is how we falsify claims, which is exactly what creationists are unable to do. Yes, creationists, or rather the people pushing God as an explanation for many, if not all, of the scientific principles come from a deity. Though God is not an explanation for anything. What they would need to do is explain how God did something. And then show us how to duplicate the process. Like I said, a hypothesis becoming a test and a verification 
of said experiment by the community of their peers. If this isn't something that can be done, then creationists don't use science for God. When we ask them how God made, say, DNA, or a star, or really anything, we get crickets. That's because they don't know how anything happens unless they use naturalistic science. Because when it comes down to how things happen, logistics in the real world, science is how we get things done, how we make airplanes, how we drill for oil, how we make vaccines. But what I expect we'll get is an appeal to how hard it must have been for life to arise. Even though the environment was ripe for it, being in the circumstellar habitable zone where we aren't frozen or on fire, having tons of liquid water, an amazing solvent. No, maybe we'll ask, how could the universe have existed at all? Or maybe we'll just talk about genetics, about codes, naturally arising ones for the past 4.5 billion years. Though maybe we'll learn where God comes in. This seems to be, you know, a sticking point since many creationists don't accept the age of the earth or evolution or much of what the scientific community teaches. So does science give evidence for God? No, but could if suitable evidence came our way, many scientists, professors, and scholars are theists. It's just they separate religion into one bucket and science into the other. If one wants to mix the former with the latter, they must present their own theory to be peer-reviewed. Thank you. Just jump in really quick. Since I gave the other team a little bit of extra time so they could finish their opening, I'll give you guys the same. So you guys have a little bit more than 12 minutes, namely about 14 and a half. So Leo, I'll let you kick it over to you or Amy kick it over to you. And then if you want to come back later, Amy, or if you want to just continue now, you can. Otherwise, Leo, the floor is all yours. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I'll take um, two minutes. I just I, the the topic of uh, tonight's debate is does does science give evidence for God? So, 
the framework that I'm going to be working from isn't isn't evidence broadly. I would say that in a more broad sense, there you, there is it is reasonable to say that there is evidence for God, but unfortunately, we're not talking about is there evidence for God. We're talking does science give evidence for God, and so evidence more broadly, I think, could just be construed as you know data points which confer justification or warrant for accepting the truth of some proposition. But in science, I think it's just it's a little bit more specific whereby it's, it's reproducible data points that are expected given some model. So in, in science, evidence is going to be with respect to some model or some purported explanation. And the thing is, it, it, in science, it, I, I should say more in philosophy of science, models or explanations are, are, are strong when 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 you can establish counterfactuals is is the, the technical jargon i'm going to break that open so a, a counterfactual in this sense is really just a way the world could have been possibly so imagine like a world where the earth is like you know three percent larger than it is now but like literally everything else is the same that would be a counterfactual example something that could have been a fact but is not a fact in the actual world so explanations ground counterfactuals that is to say that um that they, they they work from a perspective of if the world is this way, we should expect to see this, or if it's this way, we should expect to see this and not this. And so then what we can do is go out and test those models against the world we do see and figure out how those observations line up with the model that we're purporting as 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 an explanation. And like my my friend Amy said, uh, a criterion of falsification is going to be important here, and that plays into establishing counterfactuals, being able to say, this model predicts that we should see this if the world is this way, and then we go and see if the world is that way. Th this is a big part of what it means to explain something in science, what it means for a model to have explicative power. The thing with theism or God or any supernatural, extranatural, or otherwise non-natural explanation that one could posit is that oftentimes they're defined so vaguely that they could they could consist with they, they be be consistent with pretty much any way the the world could have been. The world could have been. I mean, at least in classical theism, God is oftentimes defined as being omnipotent. So quite frankly, the world could be any particular way and God could exist. And what this means is that it's going to be hard to ground or establish counterfactuals when you're talking about something like theism or some other supernatural explanation. I mean, you, you can point to all of the typical things that, that, the, that uh, the, the apologists point to, you know, life, the, the Big Bang, consciousness, all of these things, things that have already been mentioned. But the thing is, those can be consistent with God. Those can be consistent with aliens creating life. There could be like super intelligent aliens that created life on the planet. There could be like hyperdimensional beings that create us, created us as a lower dimensional simulation. There's a variety of things that are logically possible and showing that they're not is going to require presenting a contradiction. And what this means is that None of those facts pick out God specifically as an explanation. So the physical facts of the way our, our world is underdetermine God as an explanation. That is to say that the, the, the physical facts that we get through the empirical methodologies we use that we call science 
they don't pick out God as an explanation over a number of other potential explanations out there. And as a result of this, I don't think that it's accurate to say that specifically science or the methodologies that we use that we call science give evidence for God, not in any sense that they give evidence for a matrix or, you know, some sort of super intelligent hyperdimensional beings or anything else, the plethora of things that other people can posit. And so in a more rigorous sense here, because I think that's what we're talking about when we're speaking about specifically science, science cannot provide evidence for supernatural entities, whether they be gods or something else. And this is actually a point that's often admitted by many theists, that science isn't what we use to give evidence for God. You can't use science to show that God exists. So I, I only mention this to point out that this, the point that I'm making is not a point that even many theists would disagree with. You don't use science to show that God exists. We don't come to believe in God through specifically science, and I don't think that one could. And I think that a, a, a firm answer that I would give to the question posed tonight is no, science does not give evidence for God. You got it. We're going to jump into rebuttals. And I want to remind you folks of a couple of things in particular. Don't forget to hit that share button below as we have a lot of juicy debates coming up that you don't want to miss and that maybe a friend would enjoy. For example, this Saturday, David Wood returns debating Nadir on whether or not science supports the idea that Muhammad was the one true prophet. You don't want to miss that one. So as I said, hit that subscribe button if you haven't. Or hey, maybe you're subscribed already. You can share it with a friend who might enjoy it as that share button is just down below. We're going to jump into these eight-minute rebuttals. And then I want to remind you folks, as always, in the chat, want to encourage you, totally cool to disagree, totally cool to share your ideas. But if you seem to be purposely targeting somebody, one of the speakers, you will get the boot because if it looks like you're purposely trying to harass somebody, we're not going to deal with it and we will ban you and we're not going to care about it. So with that, we're going to jump into the rebuttal. Thanks so much. John and Taylor, the floor is all yours. Uh, thanks so much, James. And uh, it's kind of interesting. As I was listening to Amy and Leo in their opening statement, they kind of did... Uh, exactly kind of what I was predicting and what I was addressing in my very short opening statement, which was, you know, you can't just look at this from a singular perspective uh, when evidence is presented, you must look at it from the conglomerate. If you only look at it from a singular, then it's very easy to dismiss uh, different pieces and say, hey, this is no evidence in favor for or against the position. Now, in relation to uh, the overarching point that was being made of, you know, science can't do X. Well, the uh, science could actually show that something isn't rationally, it's not rationally possible from a purely naturalistic perspective. If you're going to say that science only investigates the, the natural world, then and if the evidence you're seeing indicates the necessity of something that would not be bound by the natural world, then obviously you could. Uh, use science to gain evidence. And that's kind of the point that's being made. Uh, a lot of things that Taylor was talking about is we're starting to discover all these different things that would present uh, it being the rational conclusion that there was something that was preceding and necessary for uh, these different things to come into existence in order for all of the conglomerate that we uh, exist in to come into being. Now, uh, one of the points that Amy made about, oh, if you don't have a you know complete theory on the other side, then you can't dismiss or defeat um, or even open the conversation uh, against another one. Well, I've actually asked that question. Well, I, I, 
so many atheists in my debates have made that point. I actually made it a point of mine to go talk to different PhDs about this exact topic. And they all kind of looked at me like, what do you mean somebody says you have to have an entirely complete model on the other side in order to defeat um, a different one based on evidence? And that is just a fact. Like there can be all sorts of evidence that says, hey, this one is not necessarily the, um, you know, proven beyond, you know, the proven position in this model. And hey, just because you disagree with me, because you don't have one that completely replaces mine, therefore you can't win. I mean, that's just ridiculous. That, that's, that's way off there. And like I said, I went and asked multiple PhDs about this exact question. And that was kind of the response uh, that they gave me. Now, in... You know, as we go further into this and uh, kind of, you know, start discussing an open discussion later on about different um, pieces of the evidence, we either have to operate, as I said in my opening statement, from the position that everything can just happen and there's no necessity of um, intelligent agency being required for anything. And everything is, everything is just possible to happen, um, you know, through undirected process, or there are certain things that would necessitate a preceding agent. Now, if you want to say, oh, it's aliens or hyperdimensional beings, oh, that's fine. But that would still, that just kicks the can, as kind of Taylor kind of mentioned this, kind of kicks the can down the road to say, oh, well, I'll have to touch that one because it could be something else. Well, if you're going to go down that rabbit hole, how is it really any different than uh, from the macro view of dismissing uh, our position that uh, there's a God? If you're going to say, well, you can't prove that with science, well, Right so far, we can't prove additional dimensions. We can't prove hyperdimensional beings, whether they exist or don't exist. So we're both, at that point, we'd both be operating from a, what is the cumulative case of evidence for or against a ultimate uh, mind that created everything or a completely undirected process, nothing that controls it and all of these things that, as again, as I mentioned in my opening statement, uh, in any other context, we would say, hmm, well, that would definitely uh, necessitate a creator. And that one would too, and that one would too, and that one would too. Uh, well, let's just say that even though we have to look at all those different things, and Taylor talked about this in relation to the intricate machinery and different things that she looks, she looks under microscopes and uh, all the amazing uh, imagery, uh, imaging technology we now have to observe in real time. And either all that stuff is operating and somehow, you know, controls itself and has all the necessary information and functional information that's required for uh, the operations to take place. And either all that stuff and all this incredible designed and intricate uh, moving parts all just form over under through undirected process over millions of years or it was created or the preceding uh necessary components in order to create additional functional information must come to existence this is why in the relation and this is why i always talk about this in relation to the modern era in which we live the even if we could create an ai which could conform you know create an entirely new operating system or create entirely new uh systems and programming even if we created one that could do so, the likelihood that any rational human being would say that somehow that AI and all of the necessary components for it to function could somehow have formed itself and would not be, even if you never saw it, you never observed the person, you never saw any write the code, none of those things, or if we found the exact same thing on Mars and the uh, we never saw any aliens, we never anybody create it, but we go and Elon Musk's you know, latest uh, Starlink ship, and we head over there and we find, uh, or SpaceX, and we find some of this stuff sitting on Mars. Nobody would say, oh, well, we, we never saw somebody create this. So um, it must have been, you know, just happened. No, we would never make that argument. That would not be rational. And I think that, again, as we get further into the discussion, we dive into more details on the different pieces of evidence. 
the audience really needs to be thinking about this from the perspective of what is the ultimate conclusion that can be derived? Can we dismiss each individual piece of evidence or must we look at them as you would in any legal case the, from a big picture perspective and the <clears throat> culmination of all the pieces of evidence in reaching your ultimate conclusion? Uh, I, I yield on uh, my point. Uh, Taylor, you have anything you want to add? Uh, yes. So I heard um, y'all mention how, um, you know, God doesn't help us understand life and uh, things like that. But um, even more so, science doesn't help us understand how life got here, how the universe got here. Um, at least God is an explanation. But as we're learning more and more with science, we, we realize that science is not giving us the answers um, to an unimaginable extent. And to say that it's radical to mention God is just absolutely uh, ludicrous. So for example, um, well, a lot of the major prominent figures in science uh, were theists. And for example, Einstein said, we wanna understand how God works. Um, and um, the person who discovered the background radiation from the Big Bang said that um, we viewed God, like I felt like I was viewing God when I was looking at the background radiation and this is witnessing something supernatural from whenever the universe was created somehow. Um, the laws of science, um, such as that um, things, energy cannot be created nor destroyed and that life must come from pre-existing life, um, those are those are laws of science that can't just be ignored to fit a, a certain um, narrative of atheism. Scientists are not generally atheists um, because we see God in, in our everyday work. Some of the miracles that we're viewing, um, it, it is evidence for God just looking in nature and some of the amazing um how the cell works, for example, on the inside, it's, it's, it's literally uh, baffling. There's so many intricate machines going on in the cell that us humans can't even replicate them. Um, and, and so if you wanna see evidence for God, just look at the laws of nature and the way that nature behaves. Um, and, and I heard someone mention that God, you know, is not in science at all. They, there are um, theologies and sciences about, for example, how to contact ghosts. These are studies. Um, God is mentioned a lot by scientists and to say that it, he is not is, is, is ridiculous. And he is becoming mentioned more because there is just simply no scientific explanation for the biggest questions in life. And contrary to popular belief, we're not getting closer to these answers. We're getting further and further away from them. Um, so we must take the idea that there must have been some type of intervention if there is scientifically no explanation for these occurrences. Thank you. You got it. With that, we're going to kick it over to the rebuttal for Amy and Leo. Same amount of time, eight minutes. And as mentioned, folks, if it's your first time here at Modern Day Debate, welcome. We hope you feel welcome no matter what walk of life you were from, as we're a neutral platform hosting debates on science, religion, and politics. And with that, Amy and Leo, thanks so much. The floor is all yours. Woohoo! All right. Uh, I just wanted to say, even though I came off spicy, I really do love all my theist brothers and sisters, just putting that out there. Um, so just some points, even just from the last rebuttal, and then maybe I'll go to the intros. Um, I would say conglomerate 
it is generally not only are they anecdotes, I would say many of them are bad anecdotes. Um, just like uh, just to, to share a point, most of uh, uh, the scientific community doesn't view fine tuning as very important because it would you'd have to put a value on that life. So the fact that there, the universe could be different, uh, just uh, uh, and there could not be us doesn't seem that actually important. But uh, a whole bunch of these arguments, I would still say it's not an emergent property in that uh, most of these aren't accepted by the scientific community. Maybe if they if the, it was a because a theory is a framework of facts. Maybe if it they were facts. Uh, one model defeat religion. You're right. It's not creationism versus evolution because evolution is a fact. Evolution is a force of nature. It will happen for as long as life exists. So it is a uh, it's grinding down on large populations. Uh, genes are randomly mutating and the environment is naturally selecting them. That will continue to happen for as long as life exists. If you wanted to prove any of that came from a creationist viewpoint, you would have to make your own model. I'm not saying make a model to defeat evolution. I'm saying please make a creationist model because one doesn't exist. Uh, da, 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 da. Let's see. Science. I mean, I will reiterate. Um, I just want to uh, put out there as mean as I am sounding right now, I do think that, um, you know, there are many smart theists, including on this panel in the scientific community. Um, it's not that I, uh, uh, you know, the head of the human genome project was a Bible believing Christian. And yet when he went into the lab, he put that coat away and he put on a lab coat so uh, let's see. God is just kicking the cow down. The, oh, uh, another good one. Um, God is just kicking because uh, you guys are the, the universe or where it came from. If we even say a multiverse, you would just say that's kicking it down. But for whatever reason, God gets to be eternal. Whenever we're like the universe is eternal, the multiverse is eternal. Guys are like, that's cheating. You can't say that. And then we're like, all right, where did God come from? How did he get here? What happened? And you're like, that's cheating. God was eternal. You can't ask that question. That makes no sense. Yes, that's the point. God's not an answer. Um, in fact, I, if you just ask that for anything, like how did the universe make genetics? You would have to figure that out. Just like how did God make genetics? How did God make a star? How did God blah, 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 insert, insert, insert. Um, unless it's just the naturalistic model, in which case... Yeah, uh, formed itself. No one, there's a bunch. Of, I normally put these in my intros, but there's a bunch of buzzwords uh, like nothing and chance. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember a few more. Your grandpa came from rocks and all these that get aligned, but atheists don't normally talk about these. The, uh, it's generally creationist talking points. Uh, God is not, uh, and I only have a few more seconds, so I'm going to hand it back over to Leo. But um, energy cannot be created or destroyed. That's actually a point I normally bring up to precepts because I'm like, nope, it was always here. I mean, I, I agree with that. I just don't think it, I, to uh, to repeat it. I don't think that God created energy because energy cannot be created or destroyed. And I guess I'll go. I'll hand it back over to to Leo, and we'll continue talking. Thank you, Matt Jamie. Yeah, I um I was listening too intently to our um 
interlocutors introductions and I forgot to take notes, but there were a few things that I remembered that I, that I wanted to mention with respect to, um, abiogenesis and models of the origins of life. This is an area that, that I would say is probably analogous to the air to, to the, the problem of quantum gravity and physics where obviously there's an explanation for why life exists in the natural world. And obviously science is going to pursue natural mechanisms, whether or not that's what did it, science is going to be pursuing that as an explanation, just like we do for quantum gravity or uh, trying to figure out how to get superconductivity to work at room temperature or any of the other problems where science doesn't really have a single clue about how to do that. Um, but with respect to origins of life, I don't think I, I don't think I would say it's accurate that that scientists don't know anything. I, I, I don't think we really have a set answer, but I, I, as, as I understand it, there are numerous viable mechanisms. One of the ones that me and several, several friends of mine, colleagues on YouTube, in fact, have been looking into is one called the hot springs hypothesis by, um, uh, Deemer and Damer. And that one looks pretty interesting, but there, there's numerous, there's numerous viable mechanisms out there. Um, is any of them perfect? Ab absolutely not. I mean, there numerous viable mechanisms for a lot of things in the natural world, and we don't really know which ones might be correct or which ones might not be correct. I mean, we still don't fully understand how galaxies form. We still don't fully understand how supermassive black holes form. There's a lot of things that humans don't understand. We've only been around in our current form at least for about 200, 250,000 years. We shouldn't be expected to have all the answers to everything everywhere all at once. I just think that's a little bit unreasonable. With respect to fine-tuning, because this is a term that's thrown out a lot, in physics, fine-tuning has a, has a particular meaning. And all it means is that in order for certain models to, 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 um, to accord with the observations that we have, certain free parameters inside of them have to be very finely tuned. That is, they have to be adjusted into an extraordinarily narrow range in order for the model to work. And we don't know why those free parameters have such a narrow range. There have been numerous parameters in physics that have been like that, and then we found out why they have they, they have such a narrow range, and it has to do with interactions or relations that they stand in with other physical things. But fine-tuning in physics doesn't mean anything close to what most apologists mean. Apologists generally are sort of insinuating some sort of intention in that term. When they use the term fine-tuning, they mean it more in sort of an intentional adjustment of something such that it brings about a desired outcome, but that is not at all what physicists mean when they use the term fine-tuning. And uh, with respect to consciousness, I heard that we, we don't understand at all consciousness. Uh, that's just straightforwardly false. We understand almost every aspect of consciousness, though we're not necessarily certain how each of these parts goes together to really g give rise to the whole picture. Um, we've been capable of taking the things that people are thinking and mapping them on computers. We've, I mean, we have anesthesia. We can literally put somebody in a state of non-consciousness. So it, it's something that is understood by, by humans to the point that we can turn it on and turn it off. It is something that we continue to study. There certainly are aspects about consciousness we don't fully understand, like there is with pretty much anything in reality. Um, but to say that we have absolutely no understanding of what it is, is I don't think you'd find a respectable neuroscientist that would agree with that. And I, I think that's all I have to say for now. 
You got it. We're going to jump into the six-minute rebuttals. And, folks, if you happen to have a question, you can submit it in the live chat. If you tag us with at Modern Day Debate, that's one way to do it. And if you send in a super chat, we put those at the top of the list, and then we start reading through them in the Q&A at the end. So with that, we're going to jump into Maddox and Taylor's rebuttal, second rebuttal. This is six minutes, so we're going to have one last six-minute rebuttal from each team before we go into open dialogue. Thanks so much. The floor is all yours. I'm going to yield uh, this one over to Taylor because I know some of these things are definitely in her area of uh, expertise. Okay, so um, starting with Amy, um, I heard you mention that fine tuning is not that important. Um, I was reading a bunch of uh, papers yesterday about the, the creation of the universe, and it is so important that we're actually creating these crazy models of how the universe might have got here because of the fine-tuning problem. Just about every um, paper I read on this, the start of the universe, the Big Bang, different models of the universe, mention the problem of fine-tuning. And that's why we have come up with these crazy theories like this multi-dimensional theory. Um, and and those these theories came from the problems of fine-tuning. The fine the fine tuning problem is a huge problem in the physics community. So that's just like kind of you know not right. And um, I'm not saying to re reconsider evolution as a whole, but I'm just saying based on Darwin, he mentioned if we find irreducible complexity that we should reconsider, and we have found irreducible complexity, and we have not reconsidered um, all of the aspects of evolution, especially the theory of abiogenesis, which needs serious um, reconsideration because of the fact that there is not a working theory. And if somebody said there is a working theory, the primordial soup, um, that's not even close to a working theory. Like that doesn't explain anything that, uh, I mean, so I, I mentioned in my opening, I don't think that my screen was sharing, but in the primordial soup, there is multiple problems, such as the necessary components that would have needed to be in there for life um, would actually interact with each other and make them non-compatible for life. And in some instances, you would need water. In some instances, you would not need water. So if it's in the soup, things would uh, tend to disperse and there would be serious problems with um, you know, it, it forming in the pond. And, and so that's why they have other theories of coming from another planet. It started in the atmosphere, then it got struck by lightning. So no, there's not even one model on where it came from, but there's, there's also not a model on how it came. So what came first? DNA? Okay, we well, needed proteins to put together the DNA, but DNA gives the instruction for proteins. So which one came first? The proteins are DNA, neither of which form in nature. Um, etc. I mean, there's just infinite problems with abiogenesis. And no, there's there's um, there's not a working theory. So in terms of creation, you say scientists don't mention this. I, I highly disagree that scientists don't mention um, the serious, the, the problems with creation. And that's why we're still putting millions of dollars into research today to try to figure these things out. There are serious problems in our scientific models, um, which, which I've asked y'all to give some explanations for maybe how y'all feel the universe came about or if there's any working scientific explanation of how we got here. Um, I would love to hear about them. So um, quantum gravity, I, I read about that, but that's not necessarily a, a full explanation for the start of the universe. Quantum gravity still hasn't been completely worked out. 
And in terms of quantum tunneling, starting the, the Big Bang, you would have still needed energy present. And in, in, in terms of the quantum tunneling starting the universe, there would have, there would, it wouldn't have started from per se nothing. There would have had to be um, something there, even if that means space time. And then whenever the quantum tunneling happened, it had to come from another universe, which is the latest theory. So that also pushes back the problems of where the universe originally came from. Um, the viable mechanism for abiogenesis, yeah, I've talked about that. There's, there's just not one. There's, there's not a viable mechanism right now and it seems like the question is getting harder and harder to answer as we learn more about how the cell works um so yeah that's that's the main problem just how the answers are getting harder to achieve the more we learn rather than vice versa um why do we have fine-tuning i heard somebody mention that scientists don't mention this fine-tuning is heavily mentioned in the creation of universe um science and in uh physics and um, in, in, in a huge paper yesterday, about 30 pages on the Big Bang, they mentioned it is extraordinary to think that these things happen naturally. They mentioned that in that scientific paper, that it is extraordinary that these things happen naturally. Scientists mentioned this. So it's not just creationists or, you know, theists that are mentioning these problems. And though we can see uh, brain scans in response to the consciousness thing, though we can see brain scans and we can see and observe different things, that don't mean that we necessarily understand how they are working. Um, and, and you mentioned anesthesia as well. And we don't understand how anesthesia works. There is some um, theories about how it it. Anesthesia is very interesting because this leads into a theory of how consciousness actually works, which is um, from microtubules and quantum physics, which I'm also very interested in that theory. But yeah, that's about it. Thank you, you. you got it. Thank you very much. And we're going to kick it over to, for the last rebuttal, Amy and Leo. Six minutes. The floor is all yours. Thank you so very much for that, Taylor, and everything you guys have been uh, presenting. I want to just point out what I was talking about fine-tuning. It's not that the parameters don't exist and that physicists use them. It's that if they were to be changed just a little and it would wipe life out, that doesn't seem to, because the point is, is that if you change it a little here, you change it a little there, then white, uh, life as we know it would be completely wiped out. But it may have been, if you change the parameter a little bit, you get a different universe. Maybe there's different types of life. That's all I, I would say that. Uh, I would highly push back on irreducible complexity. I think that irreducible complexity is maybe the, the hypothesis that they have been trying to put for cell, uh, uh, this notion that it is so complex that uh, it cannot be reduced to something. I, uh, 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 as Maddox has heard me say before, uh, complexity is not the hallmark of design. Uh, all you need to ask yourself is which browser uh, search engine would you rather use, Yahoo or Google? Why did the Apple phone become so successful for its simplicity? A lot of great design 
comes from taking complexity and actually recasing it so that it can be simple again. Um, and this notion that it, anything could have been too irreducibly complex, the silly, just because all you need is just a little of something, a mutation, just a little bit of an eye flap to just even get a little light. And then you can start to develop black and white. Then you can get all the way to colors and 3D and da, da, da. Um, I think the, the funny thing about abiogenesis, the reason that I think they talk about so much abiogenesis is because it is where science is learning right now. I feel like a lot of times they want to attack evolution, but it sounds like Taylor actually may accept evolution. So I don't want to actually uh, uh, go on that. Oh, she does it. Okay. Well, uh, I think they attack abiogenesis because they can't attack evolution. Because and so you know, evolution is going to continue to be taught in schools. And so you got to talk about something. You got to go to the frontier. And nor, Leo nor myself are going to explain where the universe came tonight because that might not even be a probable question if the universe is eternal. And uh, uh, so we have to and. and I just, if I could make a final point on uh, uh, God, the, uh, you can use this as a fill in the blank, just like you can use the universe. You could say, how did this come about? And you could say the universe made it. And you'd say, okay, but that doesn't really explain it. You could say, well, how did this came about? God made it. Okay, but that really doesn't explain. What you now need to do is how did he do it? How or she or they? Well, I want to know how the actual mechanism that God is doing. So, so my exact question would be the opposite to you. How did God make life? And is there a scientific way that we can find out? And now I'll turn it over back to Leo. Sorry about that. I was uh, making one final note there. Um, so uh, in in the rebuttal, John said something about a singular perspective versus a conglomerate perspective. I'm not sure I understand what that means. Um, I, I don't I, I don't know how that bears on the, the point. Look, looking at one, making. look only looking um, at one piece of evidence versus all of them together. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't I didn't mention anything about it. anyway. Um, and he said that science can show that some things are unnatural. I would be curious what the methods that are used to do that are, how, how that's done, and whether or not that's been done in the past, because I, I don't think that anything unnatural has been shown to exist, at least through scientific methodologies. But he is correct when he says that you don't have to have a model to falsify another model. That is correct. But having a model does not necessarily falsify any other potential models. So that's also something that, that would need to be considered there as well. Um, he also mentioned necessity of intelligent agency. I'm a little hung up on the word necessity there. I, I would just need I would just need to, to break that open and figure out the connotations there. Um, and he says that we don't have any evidence for any hyperdimensional beings or any of the other things that I posited, which was kind of the point. We don't have any evidence for God either. All of them are equally underdetermined by the data that we have. The data doesn't pick out any one of those explanations over any of the others. Um, Taylor said that you, God does that, that we were saying that God doesn't help us understand life. I don't really think I, I, at least I can speak for myself. I didn't say that, but uh, then she says, but neither does science. That's just a, a what about ism that doesn't 
I mean, oh, I could grant that science doesn't explain it. That doesn't automatically mean God does. Uh, Re what I said earlier about having a model doesn't mean that some other model is intrinsically false. Um, also, she gave some quotes from scientists like Einstein and stuff where they mentioned God. I, to me, these are just quote minds. I just don't see how these counter any of the points that myself or Amy have been providing. I don't really care what Einstein believed. I don't think it's relevant. Um, also, there was a lot of, well, this stuff is really cool and complex, and I don't understand this, and it's it's really, it's just so awesome. This is just an appeal to awe. It uh, it doesn't mean that anything was designed. What What's the inference that's being made? Something's complex, therefore it's designed. I don't understand the inference that, that's being made there. I would need to be walked through that. Um, as it relates to the models of the origin of the universe, they're they're, they're not postulated as, as solutions to fine-tuning problems. They're postulated oftentimes as, as solutions to either quantum gravity or as, as a result of some other models. Like string theory, for instance, 30 more seconds. wasn't even originally postulated as a model for the origin of the universe, even though it says something about it. Um, and quantum gravity not being worked out was the point of me bringing it up. Abiogenesis hasn't been worked out either, but I don't think either of our opponents would argue that because quantum gravity hasn't been worked out that it's that it's somehow not natural. Um, and just if I made the, the final point that I wanted to make quickly was Amy brings up a good question. How? We're always asked, how did nature do this? How did the natural world do this? But then God doesn't have to meet the same standard. We're going to jump into open discussion. So with that, want to remind you folks, as always, want to encourage you, attack the arguments, as always, instead of the person. And we're going to jump into open conversation. The floor is all yours, everybody. I mean, Leo, I think the, uh, to your point about the how, this also uh, correlates with the necessary. So in that context, I just mean the general definition, you don't have to go down the philosophy perspective, but you know, something that would be required based on previous knowledge, right? So we know that XYZ is necessary for this to occur based on a general understanding of, this, of similar actions, right? Like this is a pretty well, that concept is pretty well established, right? In science, right? We know that, uh, hey, based on these things in conjunction with X, Y, and Z, that this would be the rational conclusion and hypotheses are formed on these and ultimately experiments are done and theories are ultimately um, devised from following that same uh, train of thought. So the part of the reason earlier that I made the point about finding, you know, <clears throat> some high level technology on Mars and we didn't. Uh, it was kind of in anticipation of this point, right? So uh, we find something on Mars that was not put there by us. And the based on investigation, reverse engineering, et cetera, et cetera, which is exactly what Taylor does in her research. She's reverse engineering how microtubules work in relation to consciousness or the, the, how the mind, brain works, everything else. The uh, We're doing reverse engineering. And if we come to the conclusion that there's digital information, there's all this engineering principles, so on and so forth, in this, you know, robot that we find on Mars, the even though we don't know how they built it or what you know what equipment they used to make it or so on and so forth, it doesn't mean you can't very rationally view it as evidence that there must have been a preceding intelligent agent that was necessary for it. So the point in relation to extrapolating this out to evidence for God, if we're seeing the exact same type of uh, concepts necessary for life to exist, then and per everybody's position, right? The uh, before life came to be on uh, Earth, this would be what we, uh, these are the things that have to be accounted for. Then 
why can you not, you don't have to say this is the only explanation. You can come up with a different hypothesis if you want to, but you can't, in my opinion, you can't just exclude the point that we're making, which would be that there must be a creator that was not bound by the same limitations that our, our forms of life are that would be required for us to exist. Does that make sense? Yeah. So um, with respect to what you said there at the beginning, when you said like sort of this if X, Y, and Z, then I, I like say P or something. Did you mean that in like a causal sense? Like that did this just like mechanistically occurs? Or did you mean in like some inferential sense that like we deduce P from X, Y, Okay, that's why I said I was using it in the, in the general sense of basic uh, human interactions, right? So like if you see a, I mean, come on, Leo, let's really not play this minutia game, man. You know, I've had this conversation over and over again. But if you find a uh, intricate painting on a wall, you're never going to argue even if you want to ultimately come to the conclusion it was painted by a freaking robot of an AI system that's what we're, we're trying to create right now to, to create art, right? Or create images digitally. The Nobody's going to be like, oh, well, I don't think, like, mm, was that created by something or just, like, pop into, it, like, create itself? Like, nobody goes down that rabbit hole. was the whole point that I'm making. Right? Again, that's, that's what I said. We're not I going down the, like, the philosophical... Um, I, I just wanted to say quickly, but I would sure. infer that a... That a painting if i saw it was painted not not because of any physical facts about the painting but because of my my background knowledge right so the based on i, I made the point of based on previous knowledge yeah but if, if it's based on background knowledge and that wouldn't be scientific that would that would be that would be inferential that would be based on your background knowledge not on empiric not on the physical so, so are, you, are you suggesting that the baseline knowledge that a scientist has learned from a variety of things is not being used to infer potential explanations for something that they're coming across they have not yet been fully explained i'm, I'm sorry what was that are you asking if scientists have used their background knowledge when they when they use the scientific methodology for, in, for, for inference right well yeah i mean in, to create the hypothesis not in the sense not but not in an explicative sense Right, right. That's my point. They haven't yet hundred like proven beyond all doubt how this is, but they were able to infer based on preceding knowledge what is the likely explanation. Correct? Yeah, but that inference is made based off of the physical facts. Okay, so no, no conceptual facts. It's based on information that they have already about the necessities for whatever it is. Right? Yeah, so the, the physical difference? facts. Right. Right. So the whole the way I'm, the world I'm, I'm is. Not, those are right. the physical facts. Right. And, but and when I infer that a painting is designed, it's not because of any physical fact about the painting. It's because I know that humans specifically, which are intelligent agents, paint things. So if I saw a painting, I'm not just going to assume that it's intelligently because I'm going to know a human did that. Right. So I don't. So, I don't have so a knowledge of any other type cool. of intelligence so Leo, doing. Go that. back to the point that I made. I started this whole thing off to circumvent the point you're making right now, which is no human that we currently know of has ever physically been to Mars. Correct. Correct. Okay, cool. So now we probably have, I'm going to assume that NASA has a list of all of the rovers and such that have landed on Mars. Is that a fair assumption? I would bet they do. Yeah. Okay, cool. So let's say in the near future, Elon Musk pulls off creating the starship that can uh, SpaceX that can go to Mars. We go there. We discover something that is not on any of the lists. Okay, it is not designed like our necessarily like our, in, our engineering is, right? Or our, our robots and stuff. But we dive into it and we discover that there's digital information, there's coded information, there's schematics for 3D printing, and that and we have this functional working component here. All right, we know that we didn't create it, like a robot, essentially. Right, but it's not, it's not like ours. It's some other kind of technological mechanism, right? 
we have now established this and it's not ours. Okay. So your whole point of, I know that humans paint paintings, therefore does not apply because we've already established there are no humans that have been there on Mars per your own uh, acquiescence. And we're now finding something that we know beyond all doubt is not something that we created. However, it has the principles that we know from our inventions are required for uh, intelligence is necessary for these things to exist. It's just like with SETI, right? SETI is uh, one of the things we're looking for is different patterns based on like prime numbers and all that kind of stuff because they recognize that, hey, this very simplistic information uh, would necessitate a um, intelligence. That's how they're looking for extraterrestrial intelligence based on that. So my point is, if we find uh, high level uh, like uh, nano machines on Mars, nobody's going to say, oh, well, we don't, well, Human, we haven't seen a human create this one. Therefore, we can eliminate the this being evidence in favor of uh, intelligence at some point being on Mars. So the point I'm making is you can extrapolate this logic out. And if per the position of, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but you guys are, it's your position that life came to be on Earth with no preceding uh, intelligent agency being necessary, correct? Okay, so the point is, you can't you can apply these on both stages and be like, oh, well, because I know humans create X um, in this context, um, it doesn't apply, but on, in, or it applies in, in, uh, in terms of eliminating. And on the, other, on the other side, you can do the opposite. That doesn't make any sense. Anyway, I've been rambling for a while. I just, I want to respond and then I want to let Amy go because she's been trying to get in, but I, I do want to respond to that. Yeah, if, if we were looking for something and we found it, I, I would think that we would only infer that it was, it was made by some sort of non-human intelligence, given that it, it, it it resembled our technology. If it was something that was so far beyond us that we couldn't, it couldn't resemble our technology, then I don't think that we would be capable of inferring that it was intelligently designed. Um, but that, that just leads in to the broader point that I'm making that, yeah, we can infer that some things are intelligently designed even by non-humans, but it's never going to get you to specifically a God. And I would argue that even that, that there's going to be explanations that are going to be more simplistic and more parsimonious than a god, like some hyper-intelligent extraterrestrial species or something like that. So, I mean, I, I understand completely what you're saying, and I'm with you. I mean, I think we can infer that non-human intelligence is designed thing, but I also think that that plays at the point that uh, any particular what the what the intelligence is is going to be underdetermined by the f the physical facts alone. And so when I mentioned that we're referring to um, our our background knowledge with reference to what kind of intelligence designed something, that was kind of the point: is that we're not we're not looking at the physical facts. We're no longer looking at the science. Then we would be looking based on our our background knowledge in order to infer what kind of designer it is. And then you're just sure maybe we can do that. But then we're just no longer talking about science. And I'll yield to Amy and Taylor. I just want to, I want to talk about this kind of, I would say, which is a watchmaker analogy, because if you go towards the dam, you need to investigate whether, or I guess I already gave the punchline. If you go towards a, uh, something clogging a river, you need to investigate whether intelligence has clogged it or whether it was naturally occurring. And when it comes to what I believe most creationists call codes, they've been naturally occurring for 4.5 billion years. And it's just recently that there have been artificial codes. And so I would need a reason 
for why we would think humans or any life is not naturally occurring, but actually designed? Well, I, I would say because um, and the reason that we are in awe is because chemicals don't naturally behave this way. Um, so, so we look at chemistry outside of the cell and it has no, it has no goals, but inside of a cell, we're seeing atoms and chemistry behave as if they're almost alive. And, and, and it's really amazing. Um, so yeah, we also can't see, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So, so right. It's, it, it's just that we don't normally see chemistry behaving this way. And at the, on primordial earth, it's, it's amazing to see that it would behave this way to create some sort of um, chemical bonds that don't naturally occur in nature. So, But, that, but if we were seeing the chemical reactions the way that we do, and we're seeing that in the natural world and all the chemicals that they're made of are like just elementary particles and all natural stuff, wouldn't that mean that it happens naturally? Not without an enzyme, not without... You know, yeah, like, but en enzymes are natural, aren't they? Aren't they just molecules? <laughs> they can't naturally form. How do we know that? Like, what because criteria would we use for determining whether something happens naturally versus non-naturally? Well, because enzymes are proteins, and proteins are made up of amino acids, and you need an mm -hmm. enzyme together those amino acids to create a protein. So you're saying that it's um oh, what's the uh, a feedback loop, and that how does a feedback loop create itself? Something kind of like that. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's a fair point because your feedback loop isn't typically something you would imagine creating yourself. I guess that the way I would respond is uh, just just from my knowledge, because I mean, biology isn't normally what I what I talk about and everything. But um, is that uh, you can get feedback loops started from something that might not have been a feedback loop where chemical reactions happen that start to feed into each other and create a feedback loop. And then that being a more stable reaction begins to dominate in the environment and thereby is sustained through time. I mean, there's, there's like multiple machines going into this process that we're talking like it's so simple. Um, it, it's actually very complex. And um, in, in terms of these things creating themselves, you know, if, if we ever saw a robot, would we assume or ever um, think that a tornado went through a junkyard and created a functional robot? Can I respond to that? It's like to say that the natural, that a cell came out um, just from basic chemical components. So a robot actually arises from us creating it. But you could say, like, if we just leave a bunch of living organisms, can we imagine them to multiply? Yes, we can. They naturally arise. Plants and uh, uh animals both have sexes they both just but not without life already there well and that's actually my so you guys both question a natural origin by which but i want to stress again just saying god did it which i'm not saying you are you may have more complex but i would like to then ask how did god start life okay so well, even if even if you want to continue to go down this rabbit hole the whether or not God, the the God in, uh, concept has to does something from a physical uh, sequence Scientific. of events to, to do something. No, no, I'm talking about a sequence that's being that's being done by that agent doesn't mean that you're eliminating the whether or not, if I come up with the well, I think he put these molecules in this order, this exact order for the first form of life to come into being. This was the entire genome. Um, and, can, and here is the necessity amount of information that would be required. So in, in line with that, by the way, the current standard 
of the required information for the minimal form of life is almost 500,000 base pairs and I think 473 genes. The, it is, it's a huge um, uh, necessity of information that's required for the most simple, the recognized simplistic form of life to, to exist. So you can't circumvent that. So whether or not you want me to sit here and come up with a, well, here's how we, the order we think that it was done in, that doesn't remove the requirement for a intelligent agent being necessary. It would be like saying Craig Ventner, who like the, all the news said, oh, creates a artificial cell in the lab. What he really did was he hijacked um, genes from organism A, inserted them in organism B, and inserted some uh, uh, artificially created DNA, which had like watermarks and their names encoded into it and different stuff. And they put like a picture of some horses. They just, by the way, it's digital information. They stored pictures of horses and like some music and stuff in the DNA sequence. And, but the VAT, like 99.8% of it was uh, pre-existing. And then we say, oh, that is a, a synthetic form of life, right? Was anybody going to come across and say, hmm, unless you can show me exactly how the rest of it came into be, that what we were able to derive was done by Venner and his team didn't actually happen. And that must be 100% naturally occurring. If we can de determine that, then you can't just eliminate conclusions based on things that are way, way more uh, intricate and detailed than the little minuscule modifications that um, we've done that get a massive amounts of accolades um, for these supposed scientific discoveries while we're ignoring the significance of everything else. Go ahead. Can I just, I want to interrupt and why I want to say, or, or let you finish, I'm so sorry, uh, but uh, why that is more a political answer than it is a scientific answer. Because the question was, how does God make life? And so I will turn the uh, chair back over to Maddox. Can I, can I ask a quick question? Or, or Leo, our, I would like to I know want I just want to know from, from John and Taylor really quickly. Do you think it's possible for God to have created life without using any of the things that we see in life today? Is that possible? I think Taylor froze. Uh, re re repeat the question, Leo. Is it possible for God to have created life without using any of the structures that we observe in life today, without DNA, without proteins, without even cells? Is it possible that God could have done that? Right. Um, yeah. So there's things be simultaneously created um, in the creation of the cell um, in which, yes, he could have done that. So, so he could have created life without even using cells. Um, well, cell is the first form and the simplest form of life. Yeah, well, yeah, but could God have created life without using cells? Is that a thing that God could have done? God created a cell. I know that. So, so, yeah, God did create a cell, but could God have created life without cells? Leo, what does that have to do I with whether I, or not I'm, No, it's just, it's just a question. Well, I, I would Leo, like to know Leo, from you Leo, guys like, whether, Leo, on, I mean, it on. does lead to something that relates to the discussion. Which Leo, is hang on. Let's, let's, let's think about this. That would be like saying, could uh, Amy write a program in Java or basic or c sharp except that's not relevant to the discussion the question i'm asking is no, well that you could create life actually well maybe you're missing my point you could write a life form i.e a program in a using a different language right in order to create it so god had to use some sort of language to create life 
Uh, well, I mean, it seems to me that everything is ultimately necess- necessitates on um, information of some kind, um, ultimately. But so God had to use information to create life. We haven't established that there's a God yet. Now we're trying to understand. But isn't God- the topic of the debate, does science give evidence for God? Right. Right, but not, we're talking about what we observe, not, not hypotheticals, man. We're talking about not, the real world. The, so, the, no, no, I'm, I'm, Leo, this is a dodge. The hypothetical, Leo. This is nothing, no, this it's not. The hypothetical is just a question. Let's not talk about what we actually see. Sorry, sorry. The hypothetical is just a question. People can actually hear you guys. Go sorry, ahead. Uh, we'll give you a, maybe a minute or two, Leo, and then we'll come back yeah. to you, uh, Maddox. So the hypothetical, I'm just asking a question about whether it's possible. So, so I'll just make the point of asking the question um, because it seems they don't want to just give a direct answer as to whether God could or could not create life utilizing something that is completely unrecognizable from what we see. I don't know why. Um, so the, the point of me asking that question is because if it is the case that God could create life utilizing different mechanisms, then they're going to need to provide an explanation for why particularly the mechanisms we see are the ones that were used. And I don't think they're going to be able to do that because that would require appealing to things that aren't relevant to science. That would be that would require um, uh, appeals to our background knowledge about God's intentions, if we can even know what God's intentions are, such that we would know what it is that he would or wouldn't want to do to be capable of knowing what ways he would or would not have wanted to create life. So if they're going to say that God um, can create life using different methods, then why is it that he used specifically what we see? And if it's the case that God couldn't have created life a different way, maybe this isn't relevant to our our interlocutors. I'm not going to suppose what kind of theists they are in the debate, but if they would posit that their particular God is omnipotent, if he were to be restricted in specifically what he could or could not do with respect to creating life, then that's just to give up his omnipotence. I mean, I just see this as a very weak argument. Well, that, it was more a question, but well, what, okay. what so, specifically so, so, about is it, is it that you're objecting to? I just don't see it relevant to the question at hand if science Why not? is God. Well, but that's the topic of the debate, isn't it? No, that's the whole nother. Can I ask you a question, Taylor? What would it take um, for you to be convinced that there wasn't good scientific evidence for God? Science can explain how the universe got created and how life got created. And um, the, the biggest questions that are only becoming harder and harder to answer, if they had a working model or a working theory. Could I, I, I'll accept that answer, but I just want to add on an addendum, which was if we could then prove a multiverse, which I think would be something like that, don't you think that that to use an expression we've been using, it's just kicking a can though? Or, do, or would that answer it? If there is, if we can prove a multiverse, as uh, will, well, the, will the that vast, be a satisfactory the answer? The, the vast majority of the uh, theorems I've seen on and concepts on this all look at there being a ultimate beginning, even if there is a multiverse. Now there's some that say otherwise, but the, I'd vast, be open to that too. the vast majority say, that, and the point being that even if, we are a, a universe that's a subset. If the likelihood is that the that one ultimately had a beginning as well, then and there's actually a greater amount of things that have to be accounted for in a multiverse than an individual individual one. 
then you're actually just giving more credence to the point that's being made. Now, in relation to, uh, you know, something about, uh, you know, the point you were making earlier about, uh, like, oh, naturally occurring codes and such, would you agree or disagree that the uh, codes that humans are creating now follow the exact same principles as the ones that govern uh, the genetic code and natural and uh, biological codes? I would say they are often similar, but it's often the not only the cart before the horse, but I think what many creationists don't uh, don't finish the conclusion is that when you're talking about reading and writing, it is all it's the DNA that's doing it. But I feel like creationists would like to say that it is a supernatural. There is actually a writer before. Because didn't something have to start the DNA? Because right now, I mean, DNA that's not what I asked. That's not what I asked. I said similar. Yes, the, the, the I was at addending, but similar. I believe it is similar. Okay. Well, okay. So and proceeding. Are, are, okay. So are the principles of uh, information and communication theory uh, are they the exact same ones that are applied to code theory in genetics, or just kind of sort of similar? Not and just analogous. You not actually the, the exact, exact same, same principles, but. Uh, because I've heard uh, you talk about how it has similar syntax and things like that. Nonetheless, there is major differences in that we edit and create the code. We manipulate it. And that is uh, a not what's happening. A conscious agent is not doing it on the molecular level. And so I think creationists, they, they skip it. They, they say, look, this had to have been made by an intelligence because it, this is sharing the same thing of a code. But for 4.5 billion years, before any conscious agent, the uh, DNA has been doing its shtick. And so it still brings me back to my original. I want to know if God is the creator of DNA, then I want to know how it came about. Okay, so again, um, so multiple levels, you like have dodged the point that was being made in relation to your "How did God do it?" That is uh, that is irrelevant to whether or not you can infer that an intelligent agent was necessary. And the whole point I was asking well, you, the whole we I, can par that that's too. That's what we're disagreeing with. We don't even have to disagree with Leo. I haven't finished my point yet. I was I was quiet. I'm sorry. I'm responding to Amy while you were gone. She's been talking. The point that I am making is that if it's the exact same principles, which by the way, we, if you want to deny this, as I've done many times, we can pull up the papers where they talk about this and how it's exact same principles. Anyway, the, the point is from a, what is the rational extrapolation is unless you're going to argue, Amy, that there is consciousness that is expressing the code that is stored on your computer, and there's making the transmission of the information, all things that's happening for all the programs that are not me talking right now. Everything else is operating, the operating system, everything else. Unless you're going to say that your computer is conscious, then you in, in expressing the information, then your whole point about information being expressed in biological systems is completely irrelevant. Like, it's just because we're not observing the conscious agent uh, doing the encoding has zero relevance to whether or not it is encoded information that must be accounted for. Just like if we go find this, the whole goes back to my I, earlier point about. Hang on, last point. Okay. We go on. If we go, let's 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 slightly change the uh, 
the thought experiment in, on Mars. We go to Mars. In a tube, we find actually well, it can't be a tube. Let's just say which is sitting there somehow it survived. Um, abiogenesis a can survive for long periods of time, so let's just say it's happened. Um, there's a strand of DNA, and we uh, are able to do the exact same process we have done here on Earth, and we extrapolate out of it. We crack the code, we extrapolate all the information, and we find a uh, the the syntax, semantics, pragmatics, and all of the encoded information necessary to 3D print a freaking nanomachine. Are we going to say the same principles of communication theory, everything else that applies, don't apply in terms of necessity required for it to exist on Mars versus Earth? Are you going to make that argument? Can I, can I part of the argument no. quickly? Because if, so, okay, if, you're, if, if we no, don't then how does the same logic not apply? Well, well I, I want to, because I, I mean, feel like you also did, well, I feel like you didn't answer my question either. Which was, how can we, uh, it seems that DNA is naturally arising. I want to know how we can figure out that uh, not only uh, that it was from an intelligent creator. Amy, Amy, is, is DNA self-replicating? But hold on, there, there's, there's, a greater, yes. there's a greater point that's being missed here. If we don't need to understand particularly how God did it to, un to be able to infer that God did it, then I can say the same. I don't need to understand exactly how it occurred naturally to be able to infer that. And not only that, but I would argue that I can more parsimoniously infer that, it, that it's natural than you can that it's intelligent or at least a supernatural intelligent. I mean, if you want to posit a natural intelligence, I'm sure that that's all right. It's a um, natural code. But um, because the only explanations we have, at least with respect to particularly science, which is the focus of our, our debate here tonight, there, there aren't any non-natural explanations. There isn't, there isn't a single one anywhere in science for anything. So it seems that if, if we're talking about scientific evidence, that the most reasonable um, inference to make is that whilst we don't understand not just abiogenesis and a variety of other things, um, we, we, we can infer that that the most likely explanation is that they're natural because that's the only established precedent that we have. Well, I would go as far to say that there are impossibilities in abiogenesis. Like what? Like there would there there needed to be oxygen, but if oxygen was there, it would have oxidized DNA. These two components necessary for life could not have been in the same soup. They would have turned to organic compounds that are not fruitful. Um, things cannot arise naturally. These polymers. Um, without needing an enzyme, which is another problem, a chicken and egg problem. There are there are multiple um, just impossibilities based on everything we know about biology in this theory. So um, I don't know what problem oxygen would have posed because at the origins of life, there DNA no isn't oxygen. posited. Well, not only that, but DNA wasn't posited to be the first molecule RNA was. Um, but uh, I, I'm the word that I'm getting hung Very up on is impossibility. I, because that that's a really, I take the word impossibility quite seriously. I don't know if you mean like logically impossible. It's You're saying what? I take the, uh, the term impossibility very seriously as well. So when you say impossible, do you mean logically impossible? No, I mean like you're, you're saying theory, but we know that RNA neither polymerizes nor can survive at, at all just in the open environment. It is very. What do you mean by open environment? RNA is extremely unstable. We have to keep it in negative eighty degrees to keep it in the RNA form because it is so unstable. How come it doesn't have to be in that temperature in our body? Right. 
everything is perfectly suited for life. It's somehow you, you don't think it would have been on the early earth. I mean, if it wasn't, why would okay, life? Okay, have okay, okay, hey, Taylor, 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 respond to Leo's point in from a scientific perspective. Okay, so he just asked, why is RNA able to survive in a not negative eighty degrees? How is it able to survive at room temperature? Please tell him all the different, not all of them, because you, there's too many to, to, to count. But the reason why these things are the, the stability is able to be maintained. What, 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 is, what else is required in order for that to happen? Um, in, in the cell, things are just um, very purposeful. It'll separate and they have um, um, and, and keeping them together and keeping them from destabilized. Um, in, in the cell, it's, it's, um, it's an extraordinary that you should just just how I don't even fully understand how the cell works. So um yeah, RNA in the cell it 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 it, it, it together and, and for a variety of biological reasons, but outside of the cell it is very hard to keep an RNA molecule without it degrading. Cuz they, they've done it, so I don't I don't this, see why no, it this, would be that hard. Yeah. Leo using enzymes and a variety of other well, yeah. uh, components to protect it, right? So the point that Taylor's making and the whole reason I bring this up is the fact like the average the normal shelf life rna is about 30 minutes and so if you don't have all of these other components that are necessary i'm failing to see how this means god exists in created life so it has a shelf life of 30 minutes that's not inconsistent with a naturalist perspective Uh, perspective it's something that definitely has to be accounted for well sure it has to be accounted for but that doesn't mean god exists Right, but from from a simultaneous perspective, so unless so, this goes back to the yes, you don't think that the, you don't think I, I don't, that they, I don't know what you mean. Why do you think? Oh, dude, that. at some point, why do you why do you think they're all trying to come up with ways for lipid bilayers and all these different things to happen? Because they're trying to explain something. Right, they're trying to come up with an explanation for somehow how you can even have the individual parts. But the whole point that Taylor was making in relation to the water paradox and the UV paradox and all these different things to get in the way from an abiogenesis perspective is you need to have these components existing simultaneously. Even if you want to go simpler form, you have to have them all existing at the same time in the same geographic space on the molecular level, on the molecular level. No, no, just to have the, no, I'm talking about the supposed proto um, uh, explanations that nobody actually knows what proto cells are. They don't exist. The proto membrane, proto this, proto that. We don't actually see it. We don't know what they are. They're all hypotheticals, but even those still have to be in existence in the same place at the same time. Like you can't get around this. And, uh, sure, but none of this means that God exists, so I'm, I'm confused how this bears on the discussion. Well, I, like, can it, I it ask you, you guys, uh, okay. just, I want to know, do you guys think that one day there is going to be a supernatural explanation for abiogenesis that is going to be accepted as the scientific theory? Um, well, it- it depends on who you ask. I mean, scientists have vastly different um, perspectives in which they come from, but I, I don't know if the scientist, scientist egos are too big to seem like they want to admit that they don't understand everything to the general public. If you go around and ask, think that we have everything figured out, which is absolutely not correct. Um, even in, in terms of inside of a cell, we don't have it figured out. We definitely don't have figured out how one got created. So maybe, maybe not. 
I don't know which scientists you're speaking to, but all the ones I talk to straightforwardly say, yeah, we don't really understand this all that well. Like scientists seem to be quite straightforward with that. Anyway, that's not really related to the discussion. Yeah, but the they, they, I wanted Leo, to they, they cling desperately. All the physical facts that John brought up, I'm just, I don't understand how those in any way conclude God. Like I can grant all of those. That doesn't mean, that does, it doesn't mean anything. Okay, so Leo, and I'm going to use the, the analogy that uh, atheists just love to dismiss. Um, if you have uh, a frame and some wheels and a motor and a transmission, is there any scenario in which, A, those are going to have created themselves, and B, that they combine themselves to form the most rudimentary, uh, uh, let's say, early go-kart? Is that Are you asking me if an internal combustion em- engine could just self-assemble? Yeah. Well, of course not. Okay. No, now, let's say it, does, it already exists, okay? And you, you don't have to explain how it happened. Let's just say that it exists, along with the frame, the wheels, and the bolt, nuts and bolts are necessary to hold it all together, right? Is there any scenario, even though if they were somehow all connected – that that is remotely plausible to have happened without a preceding intelligent agent that knew how to connect all the pieces together for the most rudimentary basic uh, mechanism that we're talking about. Well, of course it is, but that's just because we it, it, it work is off of or, our background. Uh, it, it is or it isn't. It is, and that's just what, because what, we can, create, we can appeal to our background knowledge to know that internal combustion engines are things designed by humans. So I, I'm failing to see the analogy. We don't have. You guys have even admitted that, humans Leo, can't Leo, make not, cells in the Leo, lab. Humans can't make that's DNA in the lab. So we don't have a background knowledge of those things being designed by an intelligence. So what I'm asking you guys is, in virtue of what are you making that inference? And if you're going to say it's from science, then you're going to have to appeal to the physical facts. But neither of you to have presented any physical facts that me or Amy can't account for with our so, worldview. So the, we're talking about uh, things like ATP synthase, which is way more intricate than an internal combustion engine. And it is the necessary it's more intricate than an internal? I don't know if yeah. I agree with that. Uh, are you serious dude an internal combustion engine is is a joke that's freaking that's like that's legos compared to atp synthase it's like legos in virtue of what um is an internal combustion engine powered by protons what does that have to do with what i'm asking you does it okay so what makes atp synthase more complex than an internal combustion engine taylor do you want to tackle that one or, or we can just pull up an animation. I mean, the time. question is ultimately not. Impo- I was just that, no, no, no. T- Taylor, if you, you want to redress this one, because I mean, I, I imagine you're probably laughing over there at this point. On, on yeah, I mean, ATP synthase is extremely complex, where we're still trying to understand how it works. If only we could uh, remodel it, we'd have very. Well, I mean, we do know how it works. I mean, we we just don't know how it developed. We just we're not sure the evolutionary mechanisms that led to it. That's. There's new discoveries about ATP synthase happening uh, on a regular basis. There's publications. I, I on, would imagine. Okay, so the and they're discovering new pieces. It's, it's just like with um, as for anybody in the audience, I suggest you go to iBiology and watch a three-part lecture on DNA replication by Stephen P. Bell, and uh, he's not a theist, to my knowledge, but uh, he goes into great detail about um, the different mechanisms necessary for uh, DNA transcription to take place, for or replication to take place, for example, and there are all these different mechanical parts 
that are necessary before replication even starts, before the helicase and the polymerase even start doing their magic, there is a ridiculous amount of components that are necessary to perform mechanical actions on the molecular level, not just like, oh, just a reaction. There's like, it's like physical, like there's a, the, the clamp and the clamp loader, which by the way, if you don't have the clamp loader or the, uh, the clamp, um, the polymerase falls off after about hundred base pairs, by the way, just so you know, the, you have to have this in place in order for replication to, uh, say, to go on. And you're saying that we don't need, like these things aren't complicated. These things aren't like incredibly intricate and interdependent. Oh, they, they very, they very much they are. What I'm asking is why does that mean that they had to have been designed? by an intelligence in virtue of what does complexity mean because you have a, be because designed? you have a sequence that is required and all the parts are not chemically interacting with each other at the same time in order to make the sequence take place Therefore, yeah but that's the same thing with geologic activity too with tectonic activity it's i could say the same thing about that because it's very very complex and highly dynamic same thing with the, with climatological behavior in virtue of what does that mean it's designed are, are, hang on, are, you, are you suggesting that a volcano has uh the digital information for nano robots and machines. No, that wasn't execute. the point. That wasn't. The well, point. then you can't. My then you analogy. can't. Then your point can't get. No. Can't be used. Then you're, you're, your analogy you're, no, is false. Then you, you were missing. You were missing the point. So let me explain. No, I'm not missing the point. What you, what you were doing. I'm not missing was the point changing, at all. What you were doing was changing the content of the point. I wasn't you, talking I, about the content. You did that. I wasn't, not me. Sorry, you sorry. did. Sorry, that's the point of an analogy. I was comparing the form of the argument. You're talking about there's a bunch of there's a bunch of structures that are that are highly complex and are interacting in ways that we don't even fully understand. Yeah, that happens even in the climate. There are climatological processes that are highly dynamic, highly interactive that we don't fully understand. So what I'm asking, so what I'm asking is do you think that those were designed by an intelligence as well? Do you think that there are like weather fairies in the atmosphere like making have I, have, I, have I mentioned I weather fairies one, one time? Sec. I hate to interrupt, but Taylor, it looks like you were wanting to jump in. I know that it's been uh, back and forth with John and Leo for a while. I want to give you a chance if you had anything, and then Amy as well, and then we're going to go into Q&A because we do have a lot of questions. Pardon my interruption, Leo and John, but don't worry. You'll get to go at it again during the Q&A, I'm sure. Yeah, so I mean, once people actually look into these things and look into biology, I think only at that point can you understand or begin to comprehend the level of complexity that goes on inside of a cell. Um, in, in terms of RNA, there are stabilizers in, in the cell that don't exist in nature. And um, how RNA didn't undergo hydrolysis in the primal soup is a big mystery as well. Um, so th it's just about, in terms of understanding this and the complexity, I think you have to, and, and there's wonderful videos of what life looks like inside of the cell. Just just take a look at it. Um, it it's just remarkable. And in terms of abiogenesis, like I said, I'm going to stand to that there are impossibilities pointing to some type of higher intelligence. But science um, is getting further and further away from an explanation of these things. You got it. Any last thoughts, Amy, before we go into that Q&A? Well, and I find this, you know, it, not just the, uh, tonight, but through many creationist arguments, is it leans on incredulity, is that it's taking, you know, uh, not to say pot shots, but they basically are, you know, how did life arise? How did the universe come about? A lot of these we don't have answers for. And I uh, I feel, and yet I also know it's a justified true belief, that when we don't have good evidence for something, 
we shouldn't put in our own answer. And so that would be um, what I find a lot of uh, these and just mainstream creationist arguments is that they go towards what we don't know. And I don't think that when we fill in many of those gaps, that any of them are going to be supernatural. We are going to find that uh, each and every one has a natural mechanism that we eventually understand. So I uh, look forward to those scientific journeys. And I do, even with all the spice, I do want to thank Leo, Maddox, and Taylor for joining us for this debate. So is there, is there any final, is there any final comments or? That I think we're about to move to Q and A. The format we had was discussion and then Q and A. Those were kind of your guys' last comments in terms of just because you and uh, Amy hadn't gotten in for a little bit. Did you have anything, Taylor? Is that your way of saying that you had something more you wanted to add? Otherwise you can jump into the q &A. I mean, I just want to mention how it's interesting how um, we're having to defy our own laws of science to um, kind of ponder to these, in impossible theories i'm not just saying that you know we might not understand this yet but yeah we're getting close it's far 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 from that and it's actually going in the opposite direction scientifically and we're actually um denying scientific facts to try to ponder to some of these um atheist theories that have jump into the q a this one coming in from do appreciate your question bubblegum gun says amy and leo are the earnest Haeckel's fetus drawings, bogus and wrong, yes or no, and was Haeckel convicted of fraud, and do human fetuses have gill slits? I don't know what any of that means or the relevance it has to the discussion that was had. Haeckel tried his best before photography to drew, draw accurate pictures. There was a controversy that seems to either never have been resolved or seem to have resolved on his side. There was nothing came about. Wait, so, Hegel, the philosopher? The the early um, the German guess, idealist, natural philosopher, yeah, biologist, the German, whatever you want to call Hegel. Yeah, I just don't read continental philosophy because it's absolutely boring. So that's why I don't know anything about it. This one coming in from Miss. Mr. Monster says humans are carbon-based, not silicone-based. How could humans possibly be made from the dust of the earth? I think that's possibly for you, Maddox and Taylor. How could we be made from the dust of the earth? Is that the question? What I mean, that doesn't really make any sense. I mean, the elements that are necessary for life to exist are the stuff that's in the dirt. So... Why would you, if you're creating something that's going to need uh, to have ongoing life and need to draw nutrients from it, would make sense to have the things you made it out of be also accessible uh, for energy. I so, think that silicone is accessible, and why aren't we made of that? Um, carbon is just more suitable um, for various reasons. Um, silicone, whenever you get to um, the the interactions are different and. We've looked into this in silicone-based life. Silicone could not uh, replace carbon, even though they have they would have the same amount of bonds and interactions. It might not be as stable, and so we are made of carbon, even though silicone is present. Carbon 
pursue many processes of life. You gotcha. Thank you very much for this question. Coming in from Oflamio says, if there is no evidence for God, what is Dr. Angela Puka talking about when she explains the difference between soft polytheism and hard polytheism? I'm sorry, what was what was the first part of the question? If they say, if there is no evidence for God, what is Dr. Angela talking about when she explains the difference between soft polytheism and hard polytheism? I don't understand the, so, the fact that polytheism is a thing doesn't like the fact that theism is a thing doesn't mean that that, that, that isn't in and of itself evidence. For, I'm just I'm confused. I'm sorry. I'm confused. And I looked it up because I saw that question incoming and it's just hard polytheism uh, that are God's distinct separate real divine beings rather than psychological archetypes or personification of natural forces. So it looks like hard polytheists reject the idea of all gods are one God. And this is often contrasted with soft polytheism, which holds that different gods may be respected or maybe different aspects of only one God. So it looks like it's the difference between the real and the more metaphorical psychological type of Yes, Hofter, This one coming in from Coffee Mom says, question for both sides. Were you raised to believe religion over science? Question for the theists. Well, we'll go for that first since there's two questions in here. Were you raised to believe in religion over science? Um, actually, um, science actually brought me closer to God because just observing the processes and um, how they could have got here um, – but I actually asked my sixth grade teacher how life could have came about. And she said, because Adams wanted to create more Adams. And it was just a really crazy answer. And it kind of threw her off. And how life arose has always been something I've been interested in. Um, and after looking into it, I've just came to understand the idea that there must be a God through science more so than anything else. No, no way, shape, form, or fashion was I raised that uh, science versus religion, science over religion, or vice versa. So, no. I know it's in interesting how uh, people that ask these questions always think that somehow uh, you must have suffered from cognitive dissonance or something if you had any kind of religious background, uh, but that's not the case. You got it, and They also asked, question for you both, which or, uh, Taylor already kind of answered, said, question for the theist, do you, did you decide the universe was created by God through your own research? Well, maybe not directly addressed by you. So if each of you want to say something, you can. Uh, yes, it, it did come through my own research. Yeah, my, my ultimate conclusion, and people have seen my debates and stuff, will know that uh, really for the past decade, I've been going on a, a search for myself to find out whether or not, that's uh, the whole reason my channel is called Logical Plausible Probable. It's whether or not based on the evidence and things that can be have been discovered and that can be analyzed and uh, considered, is it the more rational conclusion that God exists? And that's the conclusion I've come to. You got it. This one coming in from, do appreciate your question. Fernandez T says, what's up on our daily debate? Just showing support. Thanks for your support, Fernandez T. Seriously. And House of Comments says, God bless you, Maddox and Taylor. Fun debate. James, go Team Logos. What is Team Logos? Well, that must be. That's Latin. I'm trying to remember a spirit. I was thinking like in the Greek, like Greek logos. Or like, Greek. Just like kind of being logical or having like a sound argument. But made by that Jim Bob strikes again, says Leo, if studying the world from an 
intelligent design view produced more knowledge, would you adopt that method even if you didn't believe in it? Uh, 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 what? I don't understand how you can have knowledge about something but not believe. It, knowledge is justified true belief. Um, also, I don't know what it, what it means, what, what, what they mean when they say if, if looking at it through this world gave you more knowledge. I don't. The whole point is that the physical facts don't. They, uh, they underdetermine. They underdetermine naturalism specifically, at, well, at least to some extent. And getting into more like statistical arguments, Bayesian arguments, that's a different. Anyway, yeah, I just the question's a little bit confusing to me. This one coming in from Mark Reed says, Taylor, how many universes have you studied as a comparison, and how can you make any statement on fine-tuning if you have no comparison to make? Um, how many universes have I studied? I mean, we can obviously only study this one. Um, and I guess he's asking about multiverse theory, which I believe is uh, much more further out than believing that God. That's kind of like their desperate last attempt at um, making some justification for the um, amazing fine-tuning of this universe that uh, all physicists acknowledge. Someone just put something in the chat that I think John 1-1. One, one. If I remember right, Logos might be in John 1-1. One, one. Uh, namely, but anyway, so Logos might have referred to a deity, in particular the Christian deity. But whatever it was, for let me know in the chat if, if uh, the person I, who sent that question I in. I think uh, Logos is referring to Jesus Christ, I believe. You got it. And thanks for that feedback in the chat from Jason Torn on that. And Dharma Defender says no. Giving all organisms the same genetic code, DNA, and just changing a letter here and there is lazy and unbecoming of an all powerful God. That's, I mean, that's not what happens. Um, if he's referring to evolution, it's not just one letter here and there. And I don't know how we determine from the physical facts, whether a God created anything, because how do we determine what it wanted to do? Maybe it wanted to do it that like, I just, I don't, and that's the thing. Like you can't look at the physical facts and say, oh, well, a God didn't do this just the same way. You can't look at it and say, God did do this. They're underdetermined. The, the physical facts don't pick out either one of those over the other. I don't. I, I, Science definitely doesn't suggest that there isn't a God. It doesn't suggest there is either. Well, in, in relation to the, uh, the question, can you read that one more time, James? Sure. They said, giving all organisms the same genetic code, DNA, and just changing a letter here and there is lazy and unbecoming of an all-powerful God. I think they're saying God wouldn't use okay, no, I, 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 I just want to make sure I didn't uh, misinterpret. So, um, number one, the using the same code base is different than using the exact same overall uh sequences for the genome so there's that's a key distinction now from a uh design perspective if you are creating uh pretty much any dev is going to have a uh, primary framework and language they'd like to do it they may be full stack they can do different things based on what they're writing what they're creating it might seem something like slightly better for xyz type of use but things were used on all sorts of different things anybody that comes and says that somehow that's not smart is just ignorant um, in relation to the number of changes as Taylor was mentioning 
there's not just a few changes here and there. Uh, like for example, purposes in relation to the supposed closest relative, um, there is no less than 35 million uh, differences. And it's actually more than that now that we've uh, actually been starting to add up the uh, like, uh, short tandem repeats and other things that have uh, were kind of excluded. Um, but it's no less than 35 million. So I don't think it's just changing a letter here or there and uh, getting things. And same thing with uh, like mice versus humans. If you actually look at the entirety of the genome, not just the coding regions, you go from 84% similarity to 9% similarity. So I'd say it's more than a few uh, letter changes here and there. You got it, and This one coming in from, I do appreciate it, Mark Reed strikes again. He says, Maddox, why would we make a rover on Mars as similar to biological life when it does not have the properties of life? Does the rover reproduce? Can you read that one more time just so I make sure I don't misinterpret the... Uh, I was Mark, my, one, of my favorite, one of my favorite people of all time, Mark Reed. Go ahead. That's right. It says, why would we make a rover on Mars as similar to biological life when it does not have the properties of life, does the rover reproduce? This, that was not the point, number one, that was being made. We were talking about the root necessities of what was being discovered to make whatever you find, whatever mechanism you find, uh, exist. Which in this context would be application of the principles of engineering, digital information, and the components necessary to manufacture the component. Now, if you have the ability to self-replicate, then that just makes the question that much more difficult, Mark Reed. If you have the capacity for self-replication, then the information necessity that must be in place goes up exponentially versus just being able to print one copy. And this is a well-recognized principle in abiogenesis, in uh, every aspect of biology. This is known. So I don't know why you keep asking these types of questions, Mark. You've asked them for like two years and somehow seem to never grasp the response or apparently you never go look this stuff up because there's papers on this exact topic in terms of the information necessity uh in my folder for the annoying people which is in the about section of my youtube channel this is coming in from do appreciate your question fernandez he says multiverse someone's been watching too much marvel jamie if you guys don't respond you can this one coming Um, i mean there are I was just going to say that there are viable models in physics of that, but um, the discussion of a multiverse, at least for me, it, it gets into more like metaphysical aspects. But yeah, I'm sorry. No problem. Mark Reed says, see, is that Mark Reed again? Yes, it is. He says, Maddox, have you been praying for Randolph Richardson to get two weeks of omniscience and omnipotence to prove that God exists? Hey, you know, at this point, given the fact that uh, yet another atheist necessitates becoming God to agree that there is a God, I mean, yeah, at this point, hey, maybe some rationality would come back into the YouTube Evo Atheist universe if uh, Randolph Richardson could be granted power. Maybe I should start praying for that. That might be a a way for the divine hiddenness problem to be solved and uh, all those things to just, you know, be addressed. So, you know, Lord, please give Randolph Richardson omnipotence for two weeks. I mean, good gravy. It's uh, oh, and by the way, for those of you who are wondering where it's coming from, go watch my debate with Randolph Richardson. We went to this whole thing and he said, oh, well, I only want a few of God's powers. I don't want all of them. Uh, when I said, so you have to become God to believe in God. I mean, it's uh, talk about the self-centeredness, but I yield. Go ahead. By the way, um, for those of you, we are going to have a, a dumpster fire after show on my channel after this. It's going to be a fun one. You also head on over. But uh, continue. Next question. You got it. Thank you very much for your question. This one coming in from Jamie Russell says, 
pee zombies are basically people. Yeah. I, I don't understand why people say, well, imagine that there was something that's exactly like a human with its consciousness, but it's not conscious. Well, if it's like a, I, the pee zombie, it's a dumb argument. People who use it don't, they, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't know their philosophy in mind. They need to go open a book. They need to go read something. This one coming in from the Sinister Porpoise says, Taylor, the oxygen idea is wrong. See Archaea. Archaea is alive. Um, that is not in terms of uh, creating a cell. You cannot compare a living cell to creating one because it's uh, vastly different circumstances when we have a, a already living cell versus chemical components that are supposed to come together and create life with no work. I was this just going to say right together. Right now, over me. Okay. This one coming up from Extra Deloitte. Delight says, the area of the brain wherein seizures occur is also the same area where religious raptures occur. I'm guessing they maybe mean raptures as in experiences. They say, would it be possible to get rid of religion knowing that this is the case? No. This one coming in from Mango T says, nobody else? Okay. Mango T says, Amy and Leo, have you not heard of the contingency argument? Atheism is designed, let's see. Okay, that's pretty, just a, another insult. Uh, wait, wait, what? I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm kind of curious. I want to know what it's, you don't have to. It's your channel. You don't have to read it if you don't want, but I am curious. They say atheism is designed by individuals looking to fill their emptiness. <laughs> I have heard of the contingency argument. It doesn't really work because it rests on something called the principle of sufficient reason. And while there's a bit of nuance to that, generally speaking, the PSR, as it's abbreviated, says that for all contingent, contingent means that could have been otherwise. So, I mean, I'm, I'm drinking Budweiser right now. That's a contingent fact. I could be drinking, you know, Miller High Life or something like that. It could have been otherwise. So that's what it means to be contingent. Um, all contingent facts necessitate an explanation. There, there's, there's never been a reasonable argument given for why that should be accepted. And the concept of libertarian free will does not concord with the PSR because under libertarian free will, at the end of the day, the decisions are just brute contingencies. They just they could have been otherwise, but they're not. That's just the way they are. And so it's hard for those asserting the PSR to reconcile it with uh, libertarian free will. So the contingency argument is really not a very strong argument at all. But there, there's been explanations to get around that fatalism position and well i don't know what it has to do with fatalism well that everything it, well, anyway we'll have another debate on that one let's continue this one coming in from do appreciate your cool. question and can i just actually uh i feel bad i just want to i have a uh, now have i heard of the contingency <laughs> argument i want to put forth the proposition i get what i normally find which is it could be that we are contingent on God's existence. It could be that God is contingent on our existence. And so I just want to know, how can we know which one of us is uh, true? Which one has the facts? <sighs> this one coming in from, do appreciate your question, comment. Solitary Yummy says, Taylor is very intelligent and a winner. You have a fan out there, Taylor. Good for you. Mm -hmm. This one coming in from Logical, Plausible, Probable, Jan Maddox himself says, okay, I'm going to have an after show. It's going to be a dumpster fire. Look for the link in the chat. That's right. I haven't mentioned, folks. Sorry. 
all of our guests are linked in the description, including this link for John's crazy dumpster fire. I'm sure you'll be offended. It's going to be a great time. Native Atheist says, Theus lost again. Just more God of the Gaps. I mean, I thought they held their own, but I don't know. I guess he disagrees. Yeah, it's not particularly a question as much as just a claim. Well, but well it's the usual. By the way, so for everybody who is just tuning in or actually listening to what I'm about to say, this was actually Taylor's first debate. So number one, I think she did a fantastic job. Hell yeah. Number two, if all you derived from the things that we talked about, the argument you put forth, the piece of evidence, et cetera, et cetera, if all you derived from that was a God of the Gaps position when we were – Anyway, if that's all you got from this, then I'm just going to have to question your IQ, and maybe you need to go do a little bit more uh, Google Googling, because you'll find out that the points we were making were actually to overcome the standard, oh, it's just got out of the gaps position that we hear ad nauseum. So, I yield. It's getting bigger and bigger. What are you going to do? This one, coming in from Bubblegum Gone, says, Leo and Amy, what's your criteria for evidence in particular? I outlined that at the beginning of the debate when I said that evidence generally would be that which confers warrant or justification for accepting the truth of some proposition. But since we're speaking specifically about does science give evidence for God that uh, thereby in science evidence would be reproducible data points which um, would be expected given some particular model, that evidence is going to be standardized in the sense that it's going to be given with respect to a standard such as a particular model that you're using to try to explain something. Exactly. You should have some sort of hypothesis that then is actually put into a form that we can test. Not only should it be tested, but then you should take the results and have it peer reviewed. That is. Hey, hey guess, guess, guess what, Amy? If you guys figure out how for and you as you as you know full well, Amy, because you and I've had this conversation. I'm excited. If you go figure out and solve the ten million dollar code problem um, that's being put on by Perry Marshall, judged by the Royal, members of the Royal Society, MIT, Stanford, etc. If you go win that ten million bucks, then I'm going to probably have to concede that the whole premise of intelligent agency and therefore God has been defeated. So why don't you go hop on that and uh, then we'll uh, just, it's just. And then you, you can defeat it. So it sounds I like I when know. I tell so creationists, I I'm like, go win the Nobel Prize. Go right, prove right. I'm giving, I'm giving you the direct, I'm giving you the direct reciprocal in a counter to your point about uh, how can these be overcome and, and so on and so forth. I'm saying that my my premise that my existence requires uh, ultimately requires God, being that is not bound by the limitations of the of the natural world, right? If the root necessity that is recognized for life, i.e. the genetic information that is necessary for all forms, all recognized necessity for all forms of life and all the mechanisms necessary for its execution. If the formation of all that can be discovered, then you have defeated my position. So my position is falsifiable. I want you to do grasp Amy that, right? Because this uh, question was originally oh, for Amy. Go ahead, Amy. Well, I would just like to know uh, how they can falsify their own position i am trying to understand what exactly are they presenting the, are they saying tr- i didn't know it all rested on one challenge yeah i'm trying to say uh, what I, is I the giving, challenge i was giving you one, i was giving you one example of how it can be falsified there's more than one by solving that problem that i don't think that would falsify god at all okay <laughs> personally that i'm sorry jinx i'm sorry 
Oh, okay, so, um, we're gonna we gotta move on. To but yeah, let's, okay, okay, hang on, hang on, hang on, wait, hang on. We got we got back up this. Taylor, Taylor, from a scientific theory perspective, if you are able to falsify a foundational tenet of something, does that not negate an entire theory? Uh, right, but <laughs> yeah. So, so, so if my position, if the point so that I was what making, is the response? No, hang on, Amy. No, the point. If, okay. okay, make it snappy, Maddox. Let's go. Okay, James. The uh, the point is, and Amy, you know about this. You know about the $10 million code problem prize because you and I have discussed this in the past. So I don't know why you're playing ignorant now. The point I'm making is, is if we can, if scientists can go figure out a natural mechanism and process for creating genetic code information with no interaction from an intelligent agent, if they figure that out, that's the prize. That's the contest right now. $10 million bucks on the line. If you pull that off, then you have falsified the whole, a foundational point that I, from my perspective, which is this is what this is one of the many reasons I think it is is a necessity for a preceding intelligent agent to be in place, not bound by the same uh, constraints that I am, in order for me to exist. What so it sounds if, like you're saying, you, and tell like, me if I'm wrong. On, if you can create, okay. John, we've got it like natural. Age, John, you have to like this. This but, is going on forever. Dumpster fire after show. I just just Let's, one last <laughs> thing. And what it sounds like you're saying is create a biogenesis naturally. Do it. Do it again, and we will. Blue, and I'll be Amy, on your you side. Seriously, not. I, I no. Got to jump. I've got I can't believe how he's trying. That is not right. what I said, Amy. That is not what I said. Got to jump in Dumpster fire after show. Let's do it. This one coming in from Swifter says, "How does one?" Who denies common ancestry explain away the syntony of ERV loci between chimps and humans, given that integrase functions probabilistically? I don't know if we debated evolution that much here. Talking about I don't even know what was said. <laughs> We're talking about endogenous retroviruses locale in the, the genomes between oh. chimps and humans and other things. There's papers written on this, explanations for this. The it's, There's been multiple debates. I think there was actually a debate two weeks ago on Standing for Truth about this exact topic. Um, you should go watch that because they went into great detail about different explanations for the ERV um, locations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there's also a bunch of other things we're discovering now in biochemistry about like um, lo, uh, <laughs> islands. Coming in from, appreciate it. Logical, I mean, John, I got to read this super chat. It's from you. Logical, plausible, probable strikes again. Says, don't miss the after show. It's going to be a dumpster fire. My link is in the description and it's true. John's link is in the description. It's probably going to be very aggressive and brutal and all the other guests are linked there as well that includes if you're listening via the podcast i just found out we did a poll 24 percent of you you didn't even know we have a podcast there's no ads on the podcast so it's really convenient if you want to listen to these debates we put these debates up within 24 hours of them being live on the podcast where you can find our guest links as well because amy's leo's and john's and taylor's links are in the description box for the podcast episode two contrary in 420 says God, quote unquote, defined as an active present consciousness, which each of us can feel now, is completely disprovable by scientific analysis. As consciousness cannot be added or removed as an independent variable, hence the hard problem. That's not the hard problem of consciousness. The hard problem of consciousness asks how our subjective qualitative experience can arise or rather be explained in terms of mere physical facts. 
um, that is just a discussion that um, should have been taken up in the open discussion. It didn't. Um, I probably should open it up here. But yeah, they just did not properly represent the uh, hard problem of consciousness. Also, again, like we like from emotions to memory to all of our senses to our desires and our beliefs and how those are generated has all been understood. We know where in the brain it occurs. We know how it interfaces, all that stuff. So, yeah, consciousness has been almost effectively explained entirely via physical oh my processes. God. Taylor, you that, can respond. You can respond to that one. That's just astronomically wrong. I don't know what to say. And what's wrong about it? That there is huge problems in understanding consciousness. Like what? Uh, okay, for example, do you know um, how memories are stored? Uh, yeah. Okay. Stored in groups of neurons. Huh? They're stored in groups of neurons. Yeah, and what in what form? Uh, it depends on the neuron. And what will I mean? And what will denote a, a memory of a blue ball versus a red ball in that neuron? Uh, it depends on how it interacts with the rest of the brain. You got to remember, consciousness is highly dynamic. But I don't want to hold this up, so that'll be my last comment. This one coming in from Sky Lounge says, Theus, the Krebs cycle that powers mitochondria can be mimicked by underwater alkaline vents. See Sean Carroll's latest podcast with Nick Lane. Mm-hmm. Theus, mm-hmm. what have you got? Uh, I think that they need to go actually read Nick Lane's book, which I have, because he sure as heck doesn't get act like they've figured it out because he actually says they haven't uh, figured it out. And it's pure hypothesis. Oh, oh, we got this little, little tiny piece. And if you think that what he thinks they've figured out is the equivalent of the Krebs cycle, that is hilarious. And oh, quick side, quick, a quick sidebar for Taylor to respond. Um, in regards to the uh, consciousness and the memory storage problem, if Taylor will come and join us for the after show, she and I need to talk about this because th- those of you don't know, she's actually working on her PhD in regards to this kind of topic. So it'd be very fun for us to discuss. But anyway, I yield. Go ahead, Taylor. I'm sure you're freaking out even more than I am about that one. The mitochondria is like incredibly complex. They have entire PhD courses um, just learning about this one um, process in creating ATP. It is uh, they, they have like a, a, a mitochondria, like a chart of like these energy cycles and it's huge. And it's just the fact that they say that a, a vent can like act like that is just absolutely, they, they just lack the knowledge in biology. And whenever somebody is lacking that fundamental knowledge, it's really hard to talk with them because they think that these things can just be described away in a simple way when it's just obvious that you're lacking, you know, fundamental biology of our cell biology. Can I add one clarification to that question really, really quick? Absolutely. I just wanted to, to say that the person never said that the guy that Nick Lane said he had it all figured out or anything. All, all, all he said is, and I heard, I remember listening to the podcast and John's right. He did not say that it's all figured out. He said the opposite. He said, we don't, we know we, this is a hypothesis. We don't know, but the, all the guy was saying, and Nick Lane did, did in fact emphasize this as well, is that they were able to mimic the Krebs cycle with something that, that's very, very analogous to it. And I think that that was all the, the, the point that the commenter was making. Mm, well, I think that maybe Nick Lane was glossing things over because in his book, he sure in the poor he's talking about that the difference between black and white alkaline vents and all that kind of stuff. He sure as hell did not say that they had successfully mimicked. It, it, no, you need to go read his book. On well, he did one. in the podcast because very because very often book. right and very often they uh, in general interviews more generic statements are made versus what has actually been shown in people's research that's very true 
And very, and very, very often, this is well-documented as well, that in abiogenesis research especially, there's all sorts of, you know, the titles of papers and the abstracts are very optimistic. And then you go and read the paper and the conclusion, well, we didn't actually get all the stuff that we put in the headline or in the title of the paper. We didn't actually solve all that, but we just want to make sure everybody thought we did so we could get funded the next time. I yield we must move on. This one coming in from Do Appreciate Swifter's question says, they did not give an example for integrase. Do you have any evidence to explain this huge problem? I don't even know who that's for. You guys? Oh, I don't know shit about integrase. I'm, I don't, I, so it's, it's not for me. <laughs> I, yeah. I never mentioned it. I don't know what's going on. This one coming in from Contrarian420 says, never. Ben, there's never been a proven material basis of consciousness. If so, it could be replicated. It's unscientific to have false confidence in undiscovered fields. Uh, parts of consciousness have been replicated in neural networks. And again, we've mapped numerous aspects of consciousness from the literal thoughts that people are having in the brain. That, that, that's just significantly more expected. Those evidential chips, so to speak, fall in favor significantly more so of a physicalist perspective than they do anything else. And it may take a year, it may take a dozen years, or uh, uh, 50, but we're eventually going to replicate, I believe, uh, consciousness. I think we're going to replicate life, and uh, along with that, it, it will stem from the field of artificial intelligence, but those are all separate entities that will have to be explored and replicated, and I think that is the test for how we understand consciousness. We're going to write a lot of theory. I think that we have a lot of good testing. A lot of, a lot of what Leo was saying was true, I think. I yeah. just think that uh, the test will be that formal replication and when we put our hands up to another synthetic hand and it uh, shakes us, we'll know we've been there. I'm sorry, Taylor, all yours. Something does not mean we understand it. You can look at a brain scan and say, oh, look, it's showing up here with this, you know, this stimulation. That does not mean we understand consciousness. It's like, just well, that depends on what you take consciousness to be. If one takes consciousness to be a function of the neurophysiological processes in the brain, then understanding those neurophysiological processes would give us an understanding of, of what consciousness is. Yeah, like, okay, but that's just going to go into more philosophy of mind. By the way, the uh, integrase was uh, the it's part of like the reverse transcriptase process of uh, being able to insert like a virus, and we do this with uh, transposable elements too, but like inserting them in different portions of the genome. That's what they're referring to on that. Regarding the whole consciousness thing, um, it's even for the neuroscientists who claim that everything is de ultimately dependent on physical process, not too many of them are running around claiming that we understand it and like grasp how it's all working. Like that's not even... It, well, the vast majority of them I've interacted with and seen and read all talk about how we don't know. Like, oh, we're, we're gaining all sorts of information, but our, our overall understanding is not even remotely uh, close to comprehensive in terms of relation, in relation to understanding consciousness. I'll give the last word to Amy and or Leo since the question is originally for them, and then we've got to wrap up. Just a short and pithy last word if you have one. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, yeah, um, I mean, John is half right neuroscientists say we don't fully understand consciousness but to say that we, it, we don't understand that it's it's a physical process would would not would not be correct 
And I would just say that right now there's a lot of, it's like um, in islands, floating islands, there's a lot of experts that specialize in their field and that uh, it will have to come together to actually uh, write good theory and then good experimentation. Because I do think, I said 50 years, might be 100 years. We're eventually going to have synthetic humans. We're eventually going to have synthetic life. Uh, and hopefully... Neurotransmitters or... This one coming in from Contrarian420 says, You observe consciousness with consciousness. You can't remove it as an independent variable to study with the scientific method. In proper confidence. Yeah, we can't do the same as logic either, so I fail to see what the point is. That's it for our Q&A. We want to say thanks so much for being with us tonight, folks. Thanks for all of your questions, and especially thanks to our guests, Amy, Leo, John, and Taylor. It's been a true pleasure to have you guys on tonight for this debate. Can I say one thing to you, James? For sure. Or, or more for the audience. Guys, guys, guys. Okay, I, I know you didn't click the button. I hit the, the red button. It's down there. It shouldn't be red. All right, it should be gray. Click the click, no. Don't lie to me. All right, just click, 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 click the button. Click the button. All right, make it gray. Click the button. The little bell next to it. You click that too. That that shouldn't be highlighted. It should be all filled in with that creamy white all. color. Just, click it. Just do it. Just okay. Just do it fast. I can do it fast. Thank you for your support. Well, I appreciate well, and, that. Well, and hey, and one more thing, James. One more thing. And not that this is remotely beneficial to me or anything, even though it might be. I think for James's sake. You also need to be sharing this debate on your social media accounts, post it to your channel, all that kind of stuff, because uh, people forget. They think, oh, I liked it. I subscribed. But they forget that YouTube's algorithm is also looking for shares as one of the major components for how things get rated. So make sure you also share this and uh, tell your friends about Modern Day Debate. So hopefully real soon, James will skyrocket from 71,000 subs to 100,000 and get to the uh, the next level. I appreciate your support. 100,000 subs to it now! That means a lot. And it is true. You guys, you don't want to miss it. Do hit that subscribe button and share it out because we have tomorrow night, as you can see at the bottom right of your screen, creationists versus atheists. They'll be debating young earth creation in particular. T-Jump and Mark Reed partner up against two creationist instructors. Dr. I think it was Dr. Mark and the other fellow, I can't remember his name, but it is going to be a big one. You don't want to miss it. And so with that, want to say one last thank you to our guests i'm going to be back in just a moment for just a moment because i've got to wrap up and, and uh get out of here pretty quick as it's getting very late i'll be back with a post-credit scene that will be short and pithy letting you know about sweet upcoming debates but want to say one last time thanks to our speakers it's been a true joy to have you tonight when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.